The Word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the Word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our Saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's Word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. Hallelujah. Good morning to you. If you want to take your seats, it's good to see you in the house of God. Bless the Lord. I trust we're all well. Good, good. Mark's well. <laughs> good. All right. Praise the Lord, Mark. So, we just got a little bit of feedback there, George. Let's take that back. Thank you. Uh, so here we are on our third week of this subject, the fear of the Lord, looking at the fear of the Lord. The fear of people who see God are transformed. And we are people who want to see God and be transformed. And we've been trying to understand what it means to fear the Lord. We've seen already that to fear the Lord means to have a reverent awe of Him. There is really a sense in which when we capture God, when we see Him, there is something that almost needs to make us go, whoa, I didn't realize that this is who you are. There's something that would take our breath away. Something that would encourage and strengthen us, but challenge us at the same time. It can only be described there is a reverent awe of him. When we see him, when we see the glory that is his, there is something about that sight which, wow. And when we're seeing about when we see God, I just feel to say this this morning, when we see God, it's not always with our eyes. It's with our understanding. Because you can be in prayer And you can't necessarily see God as in, I am gazing upon God. After all, God is spirit. So in one sense, you can't literally see him, but there is something about it in that time of prayer when you're encountering God, when you're thinking about it, it's as though you can see him. There's something about him that becomes real to you, almost unexplainable. But there's something that you know within yourself. And that knowing within yourself, wow, this is who God is. And you become undone. There is something about that that's this reverent awe of God. And that's how we can describe the fear of the Lord. Even as I'm saying this, it is difficult to put it into one word. But the best that we can summarize is, there is a reverent fear of Him. And last week we were looking at the fact that to fear God is the very beginning of wisdom and knowledge. In Proverbs it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And we were looking at the fact that when we see what wisdom is, wisdom is understanding what is truthful and what is right. So we become wise people when we have a correct understanding. When we know what is truthful, when we know what is right, that's when we have wisdom. And wisdom is found, the beginning of wisdom is found when we start to fear the Lord. This week we want to look at Isaiah. We've mentioned about Isaiah and John, John the Apostle. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet as though dead. And we looked a little bit at Isaiah over the last two weeks, but we want to look a little bit more at that today. Isaiah encountered God. He encountered God. I think it's 
not the case that he encountered God and then started on his work as a prophet. I think he was already prophesying and already working with the nation. And in the midst of this working with the nation, he suddenly had this vision when he saw God. So we're going to read the scripture today here. In the year, this is Isaiah chapter 6, if you want to follow it in your Bible, on your phone or something. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 9. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him there were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. He said, go and tell this people. And then it goes on into the prophecy that Isaiah was to bring to the people. So here is this scene, and it starts off with Isaiah talking about the, the year that the king of Judah, Isaiah, had died. Now, Isaiah was king of Judah, and he had been a good king. He had sought after the Lord during the early part of his life, he had been keen to, to bring into Judah the things of God. And so there was a revival of some sort. There was certainly a turning to God, and he was a good king. He was also a king that was interested in armaments, and he built up the army, and he supported and strengthened uh, Judah as a nation. So he was doing good things. But towards the end of his life, this good that he was doing began to turn to pride. And actually, we find a situation where this king went into the temple. So he went into the temple in Jerusalem, and that's the place where the priests were supposed to go. So as king, he was taking on a different role. And as king, he went in. He went into the temple, he went into the temple courts, he went into the holy place, and there he started to offer, or was about to offer, an offering of incense on the altar there. Now the priests were distressed at this. And they went in, a whole gathering of the priests went in to try to stop him. Now you can imagine, there's a problem here of authority. Because the king is the highest authority over the nation, but the priests are the highest authority as far as dealing with God is concerned. And so there was this bit of a, a, a standoff. And the king, it says, got angry. And he started to rage at them. And as he started to rage at them, you can imagine him saying like, no, I'm the king. I want to serve God. I want to do this. As he was speaking like this, there appeared on his forehead leprosy. And suddenly they saw it. And so quickly, the priests get him out of the temple. Now actually what happened from, from that point onwards, King Uzziah was struck with leprosy. 
And as king, he now had to separate himself. And so there was a whole furore in the nation from the point of view that who was going to be the king? And his son had to try to start to take control of the nation, but the king himself had to now live in exile or had to live separately because he had leprosy and he died uh, not long afterwards. So you can imagine that this whole thing of being spoken about in the nation is a little bit like in the year that we declared that we were going to leave the European Union. Now that was last year, and there is a sense in which, oh, I remember that year. What about it? There was a lot of political unrest. There's lots of different things happening. In the year that Donald Trump got finally elected as the President of the United States, so that was this year, was there much controversy or has there been? Yes, it's in the press every day. So are people talking about things? Yes, people would have been talking about what had happened to Isaiah, uh, to Isaiah the king. And so it was well known. And so with that in mind, you see, Isaiah is thinking, when did I have this vision? Oh, I remember. It was the year that King Isaiah died. So there was come now that now his son was finally going to be able to take over. And perhaps they were looking for a new dynasty of political power to come into Judah. It was in that time. So he's referenced it with what was going on around him. But now Isaiah had been thinking about the king. I had seen the king, but it was in the year that the physical king of Judah had died. But it was in that year that I saw this king. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord. And the picture that we have is as though Isaiah has now been taken to this place where he is standing outside the temple and he's looking into the temple of Jerusalem. Now in the temple of Jerusalem, there was the holy place where the lampstand was, where the table of showbread was, where the altar of incense was, and then you would have seen a veil, a curtain that was there. Now, it's almost in this vision, it's like that veil as well has been pulled to one side. So Isaiah is looking into the holy place, he's looking into the holy of holies, and there is the Ark of the Covenant. Now, at the top of the Ark of the Covenant, that is called the mercy seat, and that is the place where God spoke to Moses from. So it's like he's looking right in there, and he sees in the most holy place on the most holy position in the most holy place, there is the Lord. He is reigning in all of his majesty and glory. And it says, I saw the Lord and the train of his robe filled the whole temple area. That speaks of the majesty of God. Just as for our queen, when we have, and it will happen probably not that long from now, We will have a new king on the throne. When our queen was crowned, she came in with all of her adornments, her crown, the scepter, but she had a robe, and the train of her robe goes way behind her. The weight of it is such that you have to have pages who are there to help lift the robe, and this shows what? The authority, the majesty, the glory that is bestowed upon this person. And we know that for our earthly queen. Here it's talking of the king of all kings. The Lord Almighty, the train of his robe, filled this temple. So Isaiah is in awe of the majesty and the glory of God. And then he says, I saw these seraphs, these angels, these angelic beings. Now a seraph actually, it means burning ones. 
These are so pure. These angels are so glorious. They are like angels of fire that are in this place. So these angelic, fiery angels are around and they're moving around and they're crying out one after the other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth, or rather, the earth is filled with the glory of this God. It's not that it's going to be. The earth is already filled with the glory of God. All of creation is declaring the greatness of the majesty of this God. And that's what they're saying. He is so holy. You know there is a scriptural precedence when, when something is repeated, the idea of it is, look, I've repeated it, so that means it's like underlining it. It's not that I, I've put a highlighter over the one word, I'm highlighting it by repeating it. So when it's repeated, you say like, wow. So Jesus might say, truly, truly, I say unto you. See, that's a repeat. So Jesus is saying, I want to underline this to you. What I'm saying is important. You understand now? Holy, holy. This is important. No, no, no. Holy. It's repeated three times. The emphasis is re-emphasized about God, about who he is, about what he is like. Isaiah, in his vision, was seeing God. He was seeing God. And there in all of his glory, he was seeing what he was like. He was seeing these angels of fire. In uh, Psalms it says this, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. That is why the angels were saying the whole of the earth is full of the glory. And it says that as these burning angels were declaring these words, the very doorposts start to shake. The foundations start to shake. It's almost as the earth is responding to the word that they are declaring to say, yes, it's true. This God is holy. And then it says that the temple was filled with smoke. We can only presume that what they were talking about is the Shekinah glory of God. The Shekinah glory, that is a word that means the resting place. The resting place of God, his presence, was here. The glory of God was filling this place. And that's what Isaiah was looking at. He was seeing the Lord. But this scene had an effect upon Isaiah. Not only was he seeing, but in his seeing, he now starts confessing. What does he confess? You see, as he saw this, so something was affecting him. He not only saw God, but also as he was seeing God, he also saw himself in the light of God. And as he sees himself, then he starts to say this, woe is me. Woe is me. Because there's comparison. You see, when we compare ourselves with others, which unfortunately we do all the time, we tend to, well, I'm not as bad as they are. Or I'm better than they are. We, 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 we compare ourselves with one another, and, and that's the measurement we've got. And that causes some antagonism in the world between neighbours, people doing things. Oh, their front porch is much smarter than mine. Right, let's paint the house. 
They're comparing each other with each other. We do this as human beings. But you see, this is a different level of comparison. Now the human is being compared with the glory of the Almighty. And in the midst of who God is and what God is like, the comparison for Isaiah is, whoa! The fear of the Lord comes upon him. Because he now sees God for who he is and he sees himself for who he is. I am undone. He says, I am a man of unclean lips. The things that come out of my mouth do not and cannot compare to what this God is like. And not only the things that come out of my mouth, actually the people, the way I live, the community that I'm living amongst, the system that I am in is so far removed from what the glory of this God is like. I am undone. He was faced with the reality of what he was like. This part, this is really what the big game changer was in Isaiah's life. He now knew, without any shadow of doubt, what God was like and what he was like compared to God. And you see, it is that that we're talking about. How do you describe this encounter? How do you describe what he was going through? But it is that that is the fear of the Lord that came upon him. When Isaiah saw the holiness of God, the fear of God came upon him. (gasps) I'm undone. He started to confess what he was really like. He saw, he confessed, but now there was a cleansing. Because in the midst of this, and we have to recognize this is a picture again of the fact of what God does. When people encounter God and they see what they are like, it takes God to do something. We can't do anything of ourselves. And in this situation, Isaiah had now recognized what he was like. Woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. I am so other than this God. He is so holy. He is so magnificent. Woe is me. What am I going to do? And one of these burning, fiery angels takes a coal from the altar. Maybe it was the altar of incense that was there before God. We don't know. But he took a coal and he comes and he touches Isaiah's lips as if to say, listen, the problems that you have, the things that are separating you from God, the issues that you are, you can now see the reality of those issues. I am going to come and I'm going to touch you. And he touched his lips with this burning coal and it says his sins were atoned for. He was cleansed. Because of this, there was a cleansing that came as that burning coal touched his lips. As the hymn says, what can wash away my sin? Nothing, nothing but the blood of Jesus. So here we see the activity of heaven coming to cleanse him. When it talks about our salvation before God, is there anything we can do? No, it is nothing but the work of of God in our lives that brings us through to salvation. It is the same, and that's the picture we see here. So there was a cleansing that Isaiah had, and finally, through that cleansing, there became a commissioning. 
Now God was saying like, in, in effect, God was saying, look, guys, I've got work to do. Come on, who's going to help me out? Who's going to help me out? And Isaiah's listening to this, and it's almost like now he can hear. Now, he, God, you want work? I, I'm here. And it's like he's putting his hand up. It's me. I, I'm here. I'm ready. I, I'm willing. And God says, okay, go. I want you to go and tell my people. Okay, I'm ready. You see, when you encounter God, and when you come to a place of true understanding of who you are and you find real repentance and cleansing for your sins, then having seen God, you are ready to be commissioned. Right, God, now I've seen you. Nothing compares with you. So therefore, I can surrender my life to you. And I want to give my life to you to do the things that you want us to do. Ooh. I knew things were not going from one page to another. Now I realize why. <coughs> so Isaiah's situation was that he had encountered the holiness of God. And today we want to talk about this, the fear of the Lord, holiness, and of how holiness can affect us. So we want to look at this heading. What is holiness? Now there's something that it is, well there's two things that it is, but they're quite different. It's not religion or good morals. Holiness is being separated unto God. It's not about religion and good morals. Now, the word holiness, when you hear the word holiness, you know that it's connected to religion. It's something to do with church. There's a sort of thing, if you, as when you started to come to know God, maybe you were in an environment where there weren't other Christians around you. And so you are now showing yourself to be interested in church and God and so your friends around you might easily say, oh, you're getting all holy on us. Because it's a phrase that people would understand. Something about God and going God's ways, it, bec it becomes something that is holy. And so they talk about it in terms of some sort of religious activity or the fact that you're now living by what would be a good moral code. But that isn't holiness. Holiness is where we are separated unto God. The word for holy is Kadesh in Hebrew. And Kadesh has its root. The root meaning of this word is meaning to cut, to separate. So just as you would cut a vegetable, you are separating it into two parts. So there is a sense when you cut something, there is a separation. There's a separation. And that's what this word means. That holy means being separated. So the idea, the concept of holiness is that of separation. And when we look at God, well, what is God separated from? God is separated from everything that is sinful. He separates himself from everything that is sinful. Because he is not sinful. In him is no sin, is what the Bible says. You see, so God is totally and utterly pure. He is literally separated and there is a sense in which he is separated from us because we are here on earth and God, we declare, is in heaven. There is a sense in which we understand that God is other than us. Because of the purity of his character, he is separated from us. And so certainly we understand that there is a separation. God has separated himself from everything that is sinful. 
In Isaiah 59, it talks about, is the arm of the Lord too short to save, or his ear too dull to hear? No, but he has turned his face away because of your iniquities. You see, because he can't, I don't want to look on sin. God has nothing to do with sin, because it's totally opposite to his character. Now, I know we can say, what do you mean? God has nothing to do with sin. It's totally opposite his character. He wants to be completely separated from it. And yet, what does God do? He sends his son to redeem us from that position. So it's not as though he's unaware of it, but it's not part of his character. It's not that he doesn't love, because he loves incredibly. The God so loved the world that he sent his son. It is because of love that he came to rescue us. But when it comes to his character and understanding that God is holy, then what we understand is he is completely and utterly set apart, separated from, cut off from all sin. And that is the basis of what holiness is. Louis Burkhoff, an American theologian, writes this. It is not correct to think of holiness primarily as moral or religious quality as is generally done. Its fundamental idea is that of a position or relationship existing between God and some person or something. So in simplistic terms, holiness is about us allowing God to have complete and utter control of our lives, that we are totally separated to him. You see, we're cut off from our former life so that we can be brought over to where God was. Before we had a connection, before we had a tie, we were anchored to this world. We wanted to do the things that this world wanted, but now there has been a cutting. There's a cutting away so that we can be separated to God. For us to be holy is not for us to attend church. For us to be holy is not just for us to hold to a moral code. For us to be holy is not for us to go around saying, well, I don't do that. For us to be holy is to say, I want to be separated to God. I want to do the things that God wants me to do. There's a different thing. You see, there's a legalism that comes when we say, well, I don't do that. I live by a set of rules and instructions. Holiness is beyond that. Holiness comes out of relationship. I choose to do this. Because I love the Lord. It's a different thing. You see, when somebody gets engaged and they're, or they're about to get married or they have got married, their choices change because the love they have for their partner. There's things they don't want to do necessarily. I don't want to take the rubbish out, but because of you, my darling, <laughs> this is no problem. That's how it starts off. Now, the idea is that it continues like that. You see, and that's a subject for another sermon. But you understand that there is a relationship, a relationship with God that wants us, that we, I have made a choice. It's not a choice of hardship. It's a choice of delight. Once Isaiah had seen who God was, there wasn't a question, you know, oh, I suppose I better help out. Sort of a lame lifting of the hand. Who will go for me, says God, well, You know, it wasn't like he was trying to struggle. He'd seen God for who he was. It's a no-brainer. I'm here. It doesn't matter. I'm 100% for you. What do you want me to do? Listen, folks, the issue that we're wrestling with is, have we seen who God is? That's what we're wrestling with. When you've not seen 
you don't know how to respond. When you've not seen, you've got nothing to equate it with. Well, is God better than this? The things of this world, this is what I know, this is what I understand, this is what I'm used to. Can God really be better than that? But if you've not seen him to know that, then you've only got this world's things, this world's measures to go on. But it was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. I saw the majesty of who he was. I saw the glory of who he was. Isaiah was lifting his eyes up. He was transfixed, literally. <gasps> this is who God is. You see, we, we look at God and we say, are you able to help us? Remember Jesus had this encounter with a man? And the man was there on behalf of his son because his son was an epileptic, or that's how it's described. He's, he's saying, my son has a demon. The man's experience was that when he was alone with his son, the son would convulse and it would throw him, even tripping him up so that he might fall into the fire in the house. The father was desperate to see his boy healed. And so he brought his boy to the disciples and they had been trying to cast this demon out and hadn't been successful. So there was tension and like, you know, I've done the best thing. I thought this was going to be the answer. doesn't seem to be happening. Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration and he sees this crowd and he says, like, guys, what's going on? What's happening? And the man comes, I brought my son to your disciples to see if they could heal him, but nothing seems to be happening. Jesus says, bring him to me. And the father says, well, you know, can you help him? If you can help him, I'll bring him to you. Jesus says, yeah, I'll give it a go. No, he didn't say that. This is, the, this is a key here. Jesus didn't say, I'll give it a go. Jesus picks up on the Father who says, if you can. What do you mean, if you can? All things are possible for him who believes. Listen to that. All things are possible for him who believes. You see, Jesus is declaring what God is like. Jesus was God. He'd seen God. He knew who God was like. And now this father was encountering God and beginning to see. Just as Jairus, when he came to Jesus and asked Jesus to come with him and heal his daughter who was lying sick on the way to his daughter, the news comes back, hey, forget it, she's died. Jesus says, just trust. Just have faith. It's going to be okay. You see, because there's a bigger picture of Jesus. What picture of Jesus do we hold? What picture of God are we holding? What vision do we have? Are we in a place where our vision is so small? I don't think you're able. I've been praying for my auntie. Nothing seems to be happening. Not sure whether you can make it. Now, I don't know everything that God is doing, and I don't know why he waits or takes his time, or why he doesn't heal some at some point, or why he does things. I don't understand all these things. But listen, I want us to lift up our eyes and look at who Jesus is, to see him in the majesty of his holiness, to understand what it is to be holy. It's not just going through rules. It's not just attending church. It's not just going through this manner of things to make us feel better. Holiness is when we've seen God and we're saying that is far better than anything else that this world can offer. I want that and I'm separating myself to that. I am coming away from the things of the world. I'm coming out of the attachments. I'm coming out of the bondages. I want them no more because I've seen him. 
So often for us, we're captivated by the idols of our hearts, the things that matter to us, the things that we fear giving up. Because if we give them up, what am I going to be like? I'm so used to being afraid. I'm so used to doing this. I'm so used to this pattern of behavior. What is my life going to be like if I'm no longer in that pattern, in that way? We've got to deal with those things because they restrict us. The idols, the things that we put above God. See, an idol is something that you worship because you're holding on to that. I revere that more than I revere him. When we see what God is like and when we understand ourselves truly in the knowledge of that God, our hearts are transformed. Our activity becomes different. We become separated unto him. That is true holiness. And that's why it brings the fear of the Lord or the fear of the Lord brings holiness. It's all wrapped up together. Chicken or egg, what comes first? I don't know. But there is a thing that when we see him, then we become separated unto him. What is the time? I think there was a few points coming on the screen now. There we go. Just a couple of things to tell you. Only God is holy. Only God is holy. In Revelation, it says, Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name, for you alone are holy. He is the one. He is the standard. He is the top of the tree. There's nothing above him. If we're going to find out about holiness, gaze upon him. For you, Lord, alone are holy. And in Isaiah 57, it says, For this is what the high and lofty one says, He who lives forever, whose name is holy. You name something because you're identifying with its character, what it's going to be like. So, He is holy, and in him is no sin. There are positive and negative aspects to him from the point of view that I mentioned. The negative aspect is he has to separate himself from everything that is sinful because that is not of his character. So God is, a negative way of putting it is that he hates sin and he must be separated from sin. But a positive thing to say is God always does what is right. He always does what is right. So in his activity against sin, he is still doing what is absolutely right and true. Now, only God is holy. Point two is a problem. It is a problem. Because the scriptures declare to us that we have been called to be holy. There is a responsibility that is being said to us. There's a challenge that's being issued to us. There's a command that is being given to us that we should be holy. 1 Peter 1, 14 to 16. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And then in Hebrews 12, verse 14, it says, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and be holy, to be holy. Without holiness, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now, this is why I was talking about a chicken and egg situation. Well, if we've got to separate ourselves to God to see him, and yet we need to see him to separate ourselves to him. What do we do in that situation? 
we bow before him and humble ourselves and say, Father, you alone are holy. I can't even see the unrighteousness in my life. But you who are the Holy One, reveal yourself to me. I have need of your revelation and wisdom. I am operating in a corrupted place of wisdom. I don't know how to think right. I don't know how to act right. But you alone are holy. In you is all truth. In you is all wisdom. In you is all righteousness. I want to align myself to you. I need your help. Would you come to me? Would you show me the way to go? Will you help me? There is a sense in which we humble ourselves to come before him. For he who is ruler of the nations knows exactly how to break into our hearts and into our lives. If it is necessary, he would give to us a revelation like he gave to Isaiah. But he will act with us according to his purpose and to his ways. It doesn't mean that Isaiah was a better person than you are because of the way that God treated him. I find it difficult because like you, you're thinking, yeah, but if only I had had that, I would be living differently. If we think that, then we've just declared that we need to come to him because obviously we need to live differently. And we need to humble ourselves. What somebody else's experience isn't necessarily going to be our experience, but there is one key thing that we want to understand. Lord, open my eyes that I may see you. Because as I gaze upon you, I can be transformed. And that's what we want to do. Hebrews 10, there's things that I can talk about. Hebrews 10 just says this, which is quite interesting. Uh, Our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. And he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering... He forever made perfect those who are being made holy. He forever made perfect. Salvation brings us forgiveness of our sins. Holiness is something that we are working into our lives. Because holiness is where we are separating ourselves unto God. I realized when I was doing this this week, that, that is what it's all about, is making choices is making choices to pull ourselves away from the entanglement of the world and to come towards God, that he may do his work in us. Isaiah saw the Lord. We have a challenge ourselves. Guys, you can come back. The challenge is this. Are we seeing? Are we seeing what vision... Do you have, are you looking at God? Can you see him? Can you catch a glimpse of him? So many things come against our seeing God. Our busyness, I don't have time to look. Our stubbornness, I refuse to look. I'm not doing that. I've got better things to do in my time. There is a stubbornness that is in all of us, that we resist God. There's a busyness that consumes us. I don't have time for God. And there is a confusion that comes upon us. I don't know where I'm supposed to be looking for God. We need to come before him just simply in faith to believe that he, the Almighty One, will enable us to see him. And we need to respond to what he is saying. 
We need to make the changes that we feel in our hearts need to be changed. We need to deal with the stuff that's within us. The Bible is the revelation of God written down. I know I say it often, but this is the best starting place that there is. If you want to gaze upon him, read the scriptures, because as you read them, you start to see what he is like. No reading of scripture will mean, in effect, you are not allowing yourself to gaze upon the beauty of him. I know not all of it makes sense. You know, well, I opened it at Leviticus and I didn't understand. But really, when you start to understand that Leviticus is talking about how to approach the most holy God and how to bring an offering that is acceptable before Him, even that speaks to us. When we can ask questions of what we're reading, this most set-apart book for God is a place where we can see Him and gaze upon Him. It's not the only place, because there's the place of prayer when we can surrender our hearts to Him. But this is about seeing. We need to see Him. And unless we're giving ourselves to that place, we don't really come to the second place, which is that of confessing. There has to be confession. As we're looking at Him, we have to start to see what we are like. And when we see what we are like, we can't stay there. There's words that have to be exchanged. I can't remember whether it's in Hosea or one of the prophets. He talks about, and bring words with you. I come to his presence. I want to bring words. God, this is what I'm like. I'm fed up with what I'm like. I need you. He needs to bring words with you. And repentance is when you say, Lord, I have done this. I've walked in those ways. I've thought these things. I need change. Repentance, real repentance, is when you have brought your confession and you are asking for God's mercy and praying that you will never walk in those ways again. Because real repentance is not returning to the former ways, but is walking away from them. It's walking in the newness of it. Seeing him must bring confession. It must bring confession. But when there is that confessing, there comes a cleansing. Nothing I can do can take away the wrong that I have committed. It is only the blood of Jesus. It's only the blood. It's only him. And I have to find forgiveness in him through the power of the cross applied to my life. That is the cleansing that I need. But as I go through these processes, it brings me to a place of release. It brings me to a place of seeing him. It brings me to a place where the commission that he has already given every one of us, the commission to go and to make disciples of every nation, that commission that has been given to us, it makes that commission no longer a word or a command that we know about in our minds, but something that becomes more and more tangible with our hearts. I want to obey what you have called me to do. I want to give myself to this. So we see that the fear of the Lord, just as Isaiah, in, when he captured the glimpse of the holiness of God, he saw that holiness and it caused the fear of the Lord to come upon him. He was transformed and he lived his life differently 
He sought to bring the nation of Israel back to the ways of God because of what he had seen. Such encounters like that for us can draw us back to the living God. Let's stand and sing together. We're saying none but Jesus. None but Jesus. And in the line of that song, there's this sense in which we're, we're choosing, when you call, I will obey. I'm always challenged when I sing that. Is that what my heart is saying? Now, I don't know what God has been speaking to you about this morning, but when we're talking about holiness, holiness is being cut, separated, cut away. Are there things that you know that you're still so attached to, but you know that God wants to cut you away? You want to be cut away. You want to let that knife, as it were, come in your life and for you to be separated unto him. Lord, I want to live a holy life. I want to be cut away from that. I want to let that go. I want to be separated to you. I want to be holy. I want to live holy. If God has been speaking to you about something in your life, then I want you just to come up the front here so we can pray for you and so that we can, we can stand with you in that. It's not that we're going to announce it to everybody. I don't mean that. It's that we want to pray for you that God will move. That he who is the sovereign one, the God who is the unchangeable one, the one that Isaiah saw, he is the same Lord on the throne today. And he wants to minister to you. So we're going to sing a final song. There's going to be a few people out here that just be ready to pray for you. Vasanth, if you can come out here and pray. Helen, if you can come out here and pray. Kevin, if you can stand over there and pray for people. We're here. If you want to come and receive prayer from somebody, then come up, make a response, because it's you before God. And it's not about anybody else. It's what is it God's speaking to you about that you want to receive prayer for. Thank you. Thank you,